Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Ewoki Maxson, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. This is pretty neat, huh? This is kind of neat. I'm back to normal. I feel completely normal now. Last episode, I, I, I wasn't, I, I just sounded, I didn't sound good. I think is one way to say it, which minimizes it, but also... You know, I think we just have to minimize, we have to minimize bad things. <laughs> I don't know, for some reason that reminds me of like, when I was younger, struggling with mental health stuff and drugs and alcohol, sometimes it's like, you have this, sometimes you, oh, I don't know, can I talk about this on the podcast? Sometimes you have a like an experience on drugs that's like earth shatteringly bad, like having a truly bad trip is, I think, by definition, sort of the worst thing that can happen to a person. Ah, that's that's a weird statement because, like, I don't know, it, it because the all the like it's living a nightmare or whatever, and somehow a nightmare is a little bit worse than like because a nightmare can be so almost so bad that it's almost a caricature of bad. Because like every bad thing you can imagine happens and also the walls are on fire. And so I remember having like really bad experiences that really not just are like that, but they're also like internal and you you really just fall into the deep, like it's just a deeply depressive, dark, just experiences where you really become convinced that the universe is just a really, really bad place. I think that's the best way I can describe it. Like, experiences that, even though it's just you are having an experience with yourself alone with a substance, but really what you take from it is that, okay, so there is nothing good in the world. Everything is horrible suffering. And then I remember having nights like that, and then, like, the next morning or whatever, you're trying to have brunch, and... And I would find myself completely incapable of talking about it in any normal way. Like, it, it, I, it, I brought it up now because, like, minimizing how last week I was feeling really, really bad psychologically. <laughs> psychologically? Mentally? But it, it's important to just minimize it and just be like, yeah, that was just just a little bit of a dark cloud. Um, but I remember as a young person not being able to minimize it or talk about it in a casual way and just sitting there, but then sitting shoulder to shoulder with someone who clearly had the same experience and having them say things like, oh yeah, that was a little bit of a rough night, but I had my entire world deconstructed in like blackness, in like black, horrible, depressive, oily, get stuck on your skin, get stuck on your soul like really sort of like the definition of the word unholy like i think i as an atheist drugs and alcohol was frequently a source of trying to experience something that feels a little bit sacred that feels a little bit special and holy and spiritual it's like a shortcut to spirituality for an atheist and then a bad experience with drugs and alcohol it's like truly satanic I don't know. Those words don't make any sense. Anyway, I'm back to normal. I was actually going to have um, Amanda Anderson as a guest 
I almost said host, guest on the podcast this week, but it just felt very strange to uh, <laughs> to have an episode where I sound super depressed and then to have a chipper episode where, because Amanda Anderson is a wonderful person who has pretty much the energy of the character Elf from the movie Elf. Um, and that's like something I look up to and, you know, cherish every moment I get to spend in the same room as her. And I really want to capture that on the, just for a moment, really want to capture that and bring her on the pod and just, you know, the snapshot idea of people I knew in my thirties, um, implying that I'm not going to know her forever. That's sad. That's sad to think. We talk about that sometimes. I don't know. I wonder what we're doing at work. Sometimes I feel like we're, we work so much. <laughs> we work so much and we spend so much time together and we do really enjoy each other's company. And then we talk about it. We have meta conversations about what if, what if this ends? What if someone goes away? Like, what if we don't all work here forever? Like, how sad will that be? And it's like a little bit of a weird, it's almost a little bit of a toxic <laughs> toxic thing to talk about because it's like, you know, guy, life life goes on. But anyway, what was I going to say? Anyway, I, I the last few weeks, uh, really like six weeks, maybe a little bit more even. Yeah, more like seven weeks. I um, was trying, I created an audiobook and then I, what snuck up on me at the end there that really destroyed me was trying to come up with a new cover. And I think I kind of got something that's pretty workable, workable in its simplicity. Um, and I pulled some stuff from a AI thing to get a picture. And I was talking about that in the last episode. What I found interesting is that I, I don't think I said this in the last episode. I found a way to pull the stats from my account and I asked the AI for 2,036 pictures, uh, which is kind of a lot of pictures, I guess, to just sit there. But um, and then I got interested in it. And I was like, then I went in my task list app. I have this little program. It's super basic. It has no features other than you make a list and then each list is a bullet and each bullet can have a sub bullet and you can collapse them. And then there, the bullet itself gets a little bit bigger showing that there are sub bullets under this one. And then you can do that infinitely. So like you can make a list of like the seven next days and then w under each day you can write the things you want to do. And then each task you can make sub bullets of like, okay, so these are the parts of this task. And then each part, you can just start writing things under each part. And it has the, the, the simplicity, the fewness of features. All it is is tab or untab, like make it a subheader, make it a sub bullet or make it on the same ranking or make it above that's it it's just bullets and it's just really nice in its simplicity and you have it like on your computer and on your phone and it just syncs really really immediately because it's just plain text no fucking graphics no like weird anything it's just black text on a white background 
And so I became, I started thinking about it. And I was like, I wonder how many, because I've been using this for years. I used to use something called Evernote, which was just too complicated. It was like, you can make notes. And then within the notes, you can make notes. And then you can put graphics in there. And then you can do attachments. And then you can like fucking make boxes and tables. And it's like a Word document within a Word document within a Word document. And it just got, and then there's like a fucking exploration bar on the left. And it's just like, it it was too, and had all had all these colors. And I just really hated it. And it got really slow because I would always end up having like, you know, hundreds of tasks and then it got really slow. But so <clears throat> I probably have been using workflow for like seven, eight years or something. And then I pulled up, I found a way to check my stats. And it turns out that I have currently like, um, what's it called? Unfinished tasks, unfinished bullets. Cause, cause, oh yeah, yeah. There's this one feature where you can, you can do, Control enter and that will just strike out the bullet because you finished it and then it will become invisible. And then you can show completed and see how much you've completed and everything. But but it's like you there there's obviously the feature of like finishing tasks. There's just like lists of tasks and then you finish them. And then I found a way to check how many I have. And I have I have three thousand three hundred and twenty-one unfinished tasks, which I feel not bad at all about. That feels perfectly fine because I have 11,710 finished tasks. And so it's just like lists within lists of things I want to do, thousands of things. And I promise you that probably a thousand of these tasks are, uh, you know, <laughs> a task where I write, okay, so just sort out this list. Because it'll, I'll, I'll wake up and I'll be like, okay, first thing, coffee. Second, make this list less messy. And then the third one is to actually do something. <laughs> uh, but I also was thinking about it because now I did two things today. I finished the, I, I'm, I'm scared of saying it because I submitted everything for like the new cover for my novel and the Kindle version, and the interior, because I, I did a little bit of proofreading when I read the book out loud, I found some typos. So then you have to go and, and fix each typo in every version, because there's like a Kindle version, and a print version, and an audio version. So you have to, I had to make all three the same. And then you got to go typo by typo in all versions. It's so much work. But I updated the cover and the interior. It's called the exterior and the interior. That's the language that the uh, KDP, the Kindle Direct Publishing Community, that's the language they use. So I updated my interior and exterior on everything and submitted everything. I'm worried about talking about it and jinxing it and saying that I'm done because I submitted the audiobook and there's a 10-day review process and I'm halfway through that review process and it hasn't been um, approved yet. So... I don't know, you know, but I had so many lists within lists of notes of how the audiobook needs to be edited and like the silences all need to be consistent for all different types of things. And just like there was so many. So it's just incredibly satisfying at the end of an enormous project to just take an entire 
like tree of lists within lists and just drag them down to like the the done bucket at the bottom, you know, just a big old bucket of all the done stuff that's finished, the 11,000 things that I'm done with. And, and then today, randomly, not randomly, but it just so happened that today I also finally, after a million phone calls, figured out how to close down my LLC and it was... I closed it down completely, and then I sat and I did this thing that I had an incredible mental block against doing. It was so difficult to do it, but I called all the different governmental departments that I might that the LLC might owe money because I because if you shut down an LLC, all the debt of the company becomes the debt of you, like of you as the owner or like the main guy. You know, it's not like the debt disappears. I mean, it should, but. But um, it doesn't actually, honestly, what I'm saying, I don't know if that's true, but I felt like that might be true. I felt like if I forgot to pay some tax, like some income tax in some corner or the fee for the resale certificate or like just the overall fucking tax or the franchise board tax, I just worry that two years from now I'm going to get a letter saying that I owe thousands of dollars because I owed a thousand before and now it's accrued a bunch of stuff and then maybe I wouldn't just get the letter, like my business partner would also get the letter and then I'd just feel so humiliated. So I sat down today and I called all these different tax boards, like the California Tax Board and the Secretary of State and all these different people and governments, governments around the world. I called governments around the world asking if I owe them any money. And they all said, ah, we don't know yet. You have to call back in eight months. That's literally what one lady told me. I was like, she's like, it, I, you don't owe anything from 2021. And I'm like, 2021? What about 2022? I did my 2022 taxes and I think I paid them even though there were four parts and my accountant told me I only had to pay one part. Like all of it is such a vortex of just spinning fucking nonsense. None of it makes any sense. And like when you do your taxes for a company, you get all these things called vouchers. Why are they called vouchers? And each voucher is an amount you have to pay. And then my accountant is like, just pay one of the four vouchers. And I'm like, why? No explanation. Um, But so I have to call them again in eight months. But the point is that like the company I was running was like a major family tree of bullets within bullets within bullets within bullets. Because there's like a back end notes to fucking do the bookkeeping and all of these notes on staying compliant with shit. And then like 10 fucking notes on ideas for how I can sell the product and just giving up on it all and closing it down. And then today finally feeling like, fuck it, man. I don't know if they come after me years from now and I owe money, then so be it. And just taking all of those notes, like hundreds of tasks and just saying, fuck it. And just dragging it all down to the bottom, to the done bucket. Oh my God. It's like a full body high. Just thinking about it is like, oh, it's so many tasks I don't have to worry about. It's like hundreds and thousands. It's like literally thousands of things. So now I've, in the last six months, I've developed this new thing of writing on there like, Instead of just focusing on the next task, I do this thing of like, um, stop 
And instead of focusing on the future and the next thing you can worry about, just focus on how you accomplished something and how you completed something and how you're doing good. Just focus on how you're doing, how you did good. And then I'll just write down, I'll look at all the things that are done, but I'll just even write down, oh my God, a fucking raccoon just walked past outside of my window. Dude, a raccoon walked past there earlier when the door was open. He just like didn't walk in and we made eye contact and he like wandered off. And it's like, I, I, that could have been it. That could have been the end right there. He could have come in here. He could have sunk his little raccoon teeth into me. Or we could have watched TV together, you know? Could go either way. Raccoons. The du- the duality of the raccoon. Could go either way. Um, but yeah, so some people listened to last week's episode about um, me having a mental breakdown and developing a artificial intelligence gambling addiction. And instead of doing a mental health check-in, I got in this massive argument about AI and like, I think it's perfectly fair to talk about this thing of how, yeah, maybe AI is a thing that we should all worry about. And maybe it's going to just become like a computer virus that's way smarter than other shit. And maybe it's just going to eat up our power grid and just destroy all of our infrastructure and just melt our financial system. Just like do some aggressive, because everything is in a computer, you know? So every, like... Maybe it's just going to become like a cyber warfare fucking destroy humanity thing. It could really destroy society, right? So that's one thing to worry about. And then you can worry about it and then you can be like, Joe, Kim, you're a piece of shit for giving $10 a month to MidJourney because you're supporting AI. And if it turns out that it melts the financial system and we all fucking lose everything and millions of people starve to death because we lose all of our computers, then you'll feel like a real piece of shit, Joachim, because you were paying 10 bucks a month to mid-journey, sort of feeding that monster that killed us all. And, like, that's a valid point that I accept. But that's not the criticism. The criticism was just about the relationship between AI and art. And, you know, I find this, in a me- on a meta level, I find this so fucking interesting because I, I find it so interesting how when a new thing comes along, a new thing in the sense of like a thing that the mainstream hasn't figured out mainstream opinions on, when a new thing comes along, like COVID, in the beginning, there's this beautiful, open-ended, free-thinking period where everyone, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of political instinct, gets to just think about the question themselves without being fed an opinion. And I've talked about this many times before on the podcast, how COVID was this, there was this four-month period when COVID started exploding, It was like the news starts in January and February, and then there's the spring of 2020. And in the spring, by summer, it was over. And uh, like, we all had self-sorted into our well-worn political buckets. Like we were all, everything had resolved itself. But before summer 2020, there was this beautiful period of people not knowing exactly what to think about the thing. Like, what do we think about masks? What do we think about vaccines? And for a second, it was like, 
if there's going to be a vaccine, it's going to be a Trump vaccine, and maybe the leftists are going to hate the vaccine because people on the left are already really like into organic food, and maybe they're not going to like vaccines. And then maybe people on the right are just going to really rally behind Trump and love the vaccine. And then what about masks? Like, you know, masks weren't political before. And it wasn't obvious which political direction was going to pick what direction. Or even that masks would be political, you know? Like, that wasn't obvious. But even if you we gave you the answer and told you, here's the thing, masks are going to be political, and now you have to guess which political um, party will be for and which one will be against. And it's not that easy to guess. And then, so what I'm talking about this for is because I think AI is in a very similar thing, where it's like, we're, we're, it's now been a few months of AI really entering like the mainstream consciousness. And for a few months, it's been really up in the air where you're allowed to just like, everyone's just like really frazzled by it. And it's really like, and that people have this, um, it's almost like we find it very uncomfortable to not be given an opinion. And the period before your political sort of, affiliation and your political sensibility the period before your groupthink your sensibility groupthink kicks in and gives you an opinion and when you just don't it, like because there's a fear like what if i pick the wrong opinion and then in the future um i will be there will be a tweet where i was like fuck masks <laughs> and that doesn't age well or something or, you know, the Trump vaccine. Um, but so I think we're landing on a couple of opinions here where there's like, it's becoming a left-wing thing to hate AI. And I find it very interesting because I don't think that's obvious. Because here's sort of the thing, and I won't be very good at describing this because I'm not, one of my many, many flaws, something I would love to be better at is correctly and fairly uh, restating the opinions of people I disagree with. Because now I'm about to state an opinion that I do not agree with. But, and then it's very hard to restate it fairly where, where I don't make it sound like I'm making fun of that opinion. Because I think, honestly, oh my God, I got to change mindset here. I got to really slow this down. Because the truth is that this opinion might be right. Like, the opinion is basically like that there's a strike right now. The fucking Writers Guilds of America, they're striking. And it's very much about the AI stuff because the big studios are using AI to just chat GTP and all these. Because there's, there's like a hundred different AI powered tools that have come out now that have all kinds of different usabilities for different just taking different creative ventures and and automating them and, and so forth. So the big studios are trying to save money and using all these AI tools to maybe come up with ideas for shows. And then maybe the AI tool can sort of like write a story treatment. And then maybe the AI tool can kind of fix it up and come up with a couple of versions. And then like, instead of having 50 people involved in writing, you know, a season for a show, you can get it down to five people because it's super fucking AI powered. And so 
that that means they save money and that means artists make less money because these things are replacing and displacing and crowding out human beings. So human beings who have these creative jobs are already underpaid and now they're getting more underpaid. That's the argument. They're being replaced. And is that fair? Am I be, am I doing that enough? Did I do I need to say anything else about the um <laughs> and then now I want to be like the stupid opinions on my enemies. But like these are not stupid opinions. These are fair, real, possibly correct opinions. Really what correct in the sense the question is like will this cause more suffering or more good because it will in no one disagrees that it will cause some of each like it will definitely cause suffering because like these ai tools for writing are they are a tool and the people who did that thing handcrafted the thing that the ai now can do automatically those people will be fucking replaced. They are becoming obsolete. And so some people definitely, like, yeah, it's going to be changing the la- changes in the labor market. And it's so funny, like, economists used to, they really do not anymore. But, like, when in the 90s when globalization was happening, they would talk in the in the fucking academia literature about friction in the labor market. And it's such a fucking funny euphemism. Because friction in the labor market means like millions of people won't have a job because their skills will no longer be useful. And, you know, it's just a little bit of a friction because 50 years later, those people are dead and we don't have to worry about it anymore. It's just a little bit of a change. It's just a little bit of a course direction where we like abandoned millions of people. And it was fine to call it friction until like the opioid epidemic because the opioid epidemic put too much of a face on it, where it's like friction is really killing tens of thousands of people in Appalachia who don't have teeth already because they fucking were so fucking homeschooled or some shit. But um, yeah, what was I talking about? Okay, yeah. So that's the opinion that we're... There are lots of headlines... Now, the headlines are sort of coalescing around these like anti-AI because they will displace so many workers. Um, That's becoming the opinion, you know? That's becoming the sort of um, center-left New York Times slate New Yorker center-left sensibility. Uh, It's becoming a sort of mainstream opinion in that half of America. And then the other half of America, I don't know, honestly. And because we're so early in it that like center-right America hasn't really decided yet. But the the center-right media is more open to it because in the short term, you can tell how like big, big corporations actually have a lot of money to save and make. They can make a lot of money on using these tools and they can save a lot of money using these tools. So like, I don't hear a ton from like Fox News shitting on AI. And then there are weird characters like Elon Musk is a very, turning out to be, unfortunately, a super right-wing poisonous, horrible man who has all these different sides to him where he also, you know, 
um, creates the, like, really put the electric car on the road more than anyone else. And it's like saving the planet and making us interplanetary and all this stuff. And, like, Elon Musk, before anyone, like, no bigger voice earlier on was more anti-AI than Elon Musk from the existential threat, uh, not the sort of labor market perspective. Like, Elon Musk thinks that we probably will all die from fucking AI. But so that's not that interesting. The point that I was going to make is like that the opinion I don't hear anyone put forth is that you could from a center left, from a left-wing perspective, be super pro-AI because it is a democratization of uh, creation, of like tools, where like just imagine movie making today. Like movie making today is controlled by a few movie studios that have these producers that have all the money and making a movie is incredibly expensive. And to make a movie, you have to get fucking Harvey Weinstein-esque characters to be interested in your movie. And those people are, as much as they are like, you know, super woke and making hella woke movies and shit, because that sort of seems like what you got to do to make money, they are still racist as fuck and they're sexist as fuck. And like the Harvey Weinstein people are fucking literal rapists. And to make a movie or be in a movie, you have to work with those people because they control the whole thing. Like very few people with imperfect, I don't, it doesn't even have to be about how they make the wrong choices. The thing is that they make very few choices. Like very few movies can be made because it's very expensive to make a movie. Like imagine a future pretty fucking soon where you don't just have a text prompt create image AI. You have a, you know, write a movie script and then feed the movie script to the AI, to the computer, and then it spits out a feature film. Just frame by frame, photorealistic, just people acting. And then you look at the first draft and you're like, nah, I want the acting in this scene of these fucking photorealistic, completely AI-generated people to be a little bit more emotional and this one to be a little bit less emotional and you can modulate it and you can do whatever you want and you can put it in whatever setting you want and you can do whatever you want. Or you can also do, because that might be a little bit soulless, it might be a little bit like, um, it might lack something, especially in the beginning, to just have it be completely AI generated. So instead you could probably do something where you like film yourself on your stupid phone camera acting out a scene with your friend. And then you give that footage and the script to the computer and you say, hey, like fix this up so it looks good, but still make it me, I'm the main actor and my friend is the other actor, but like put us in a different setting and like recreate our faces with like better lighting and make us look maybe a little bit more handsome or completely the way we look or, or you know, fucking mumblecore, make us look lo-fi, do whatever you want to it. What you Ask for whatever you want. And you can just make what, like anyone can make a movie in this, it, 35 years from now, this is like, it's inconceivable that this won't happen. It's like 99% probability that we will have these tools to just spit out a feature film however you want with like perfect fidelity in something that looks real. 
And so, because it's already the case that like, if you watch any movie now, any feature film, and there's any kind of car chase or anyone even just driving down the street, I'm pretty sure all of those scenes are just an empty street. They film an empty street with just the main character's car driving down the street. And then they add in all the other cars in post-production because it's cheaper, it's safer, it's probably what the insurance company is making you do. It's just like so easy to edit in a car. And like, we're so close to being in a place where you can just ask, you can just say the words into the air and just ask the computer to add in the cars. You know? Like, we're so close to that already. But so what that would mean, if you can imagine a future 35 years from now where like anyone can have an idea for a movie and then they can sort of like, the idea isn't really formed. So you start talking to a chat bot and the chat bot sort of like gives you, helps you talk through it and flesh out the idea into where you really get to the point of the idea that you're really attracted to, that you really think is like super fascinating. Like there's something with two people, you have an idea with two people and maybe someone is cheating on someone and, you know, it's a married lady and she's cheating on her husband and she has a boyfriend and then her boyfriend dumps her and she has a broken heart and she can't show her husband that she has a broken heart because she's still fucking married. And that's your movie idea. And you're like talking through it with the computer and the computer really gets you to understand what part of it you're interested in. And then you talk to the computer and you together working with the computer, you come up with different scenes and then the computer gives you different like dialogue suggestions and you just flesh out the whole thing, the script. You just write an entire script with the computer and then you turn around and give that script to another computer that just turns the whole thing into a feature film and the whole thing costs you like 20 bucks. It's like a 20 bucks a month subscription-based, like 20 bucks a month, and now you can make as many feature films as you want every month, or you can make five because like CPU time is still not free, you know? So you got to pay 20 bucks. But it's like, that's the level of how much money this is going to cost because it's really just uh, gigaflopsies, you know? It's, re it's really just CPU time in the end and a little bit of hard drive space. Like we're chilling. And so... Imagine that future and how everyone will have access to making a feature film. And then imagine how much better that will be in terms of politics, in terms of not having Harvey Weinstein decide what movies get made. Instead, everyone even – because really we've already had a democratization of certain creative tools like music making. Music making used to be this like racist, sexist – um, you know, the Beatles gets, they get to make a fucking record, but there's like 10,000 black kids in the ghetto just getting shot all day. And they have the same amount of talent, but they, now I made it a little bit sound like black people have more talent when it comes to music. And, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I'm saying with any sort of like societal plague or injustice, you can always come up with this thought experiment of being like, if we hadn't had the crack e epidemic, if we hadn't lost all those like poor black kids to the crack ep epidemic, then those people could have been like 
Mozarts and Renaissance painters and like, like imagine all the great thinkers that we lost to like famine in fucking India. You know, you can always have that thought experiment of like, imagine all the fucking, you know, people of color who were suppressed here, like just the fucking genocide of the Native Americans. Imagine all the like movie directors that we could have had if those people had lived. And then you can project that sort of framework onto the current movie situation versus the um, movie situation from 35 years ago. Because like what I was going to say about music is like it used to be, it used to be that there's studio time. And the studio is this incredibly expensive room with this incredibly complicated equipment. And you can getting one hour in there is incredibly expensive and you have to get a deal. You have to sign this like very, very backloaded uh, record deal and very few people get to go into the studio. And then now, like in 2015, Lil Yachty can be 16 years old and have like nothing. Lil B... Lil B can just like sit in the ghetto in Berkeley and just like make his own shitty beats and just make a thousand songs. Like Lil B put out an album with a thousand songs on it and they're all trash. But the point is that like, it's this, inc like um, really the, the person to bring up to convince the people who aren't convinced is Lil Nas X. Because people love Lil... Like, the people I'm trying to convince are the people who love Lil Nas X. And you love Lil Nas X because he's so, like, completely contrarian, and he's, he's a gay cowboy... Black, he's a black guy, gay cowboy, and it's just the coolest thing... And he made the song Old Town Road, and it really has this sort of like trial version of Fruity Loops sound to it. It's it really, if you listen back to the song uh, Old Time Ro Old Town Road, it really has a simplicity to it that's very like, wow, this was produced by a kid, like a very talented kid that has this melody to it. And it's just catchy and it's perfect and it's like fucking a trillion million streams immediately. But it's like there's a simplicity to it and there's a flatness to the production that's really like suggestive of early career and you really just didn't have anyone to master it for you. Um, but the tools were democratized enough that it actually came out good as fuck and everyone's on it, you know? And like... If we hadn't, if we in the fucking 70s and eight, no, 90s, when, when like music production tools on a computer started coming out where it suddenly became way easier, like the early Fruity Loops and the Abletons and, you know, the garage band style stuff, uh, when the early ones were coming out in the late 90s, like if we had a big strike then with all the music producers are like, hey, we learned we've all spent 10,000 hours learning this really, really difficult skill here of producing music. And now they want to come up with a computer program that completely replaces us. So anyone can do it. Uh, and anyone can do it kind of shittier than we do it, but, but they can do it in their bedroom. And we're going to lose all this money. We're already underpaid. Um, 
you know, we're going on strike. And then if we as a society had said, oh, yeah, yeah, let's let's listen to these people in the creative industry here who are already underpaid. And now these computer systems are going to fucking replace them. And I mean, it happened a little bit like being a technician, like a studio technician is certainly something that you became fucking obsolete. If you're the fucking Beatles guy, like if you're the Beatles era music producer, you definitely became obsolete when they came up with DOS. I don't even remember what DOS stands for, D-A-W. It's something about the music making workspace. Um, like you became obsolete, but like we didn't choose to, like if we had chosen to side with the mu- the poor music producers and outlawed music production simplification software in the late 90s, we wouldn't have Lil Nas X. We wouldn't have all these like super creative, uh, weird little black kids in the ghetto that like make this incredible, like they've invented literally a thousand genres of music. And you can shit on it all you want and say that little punk that it pump, that it's basic and stupid, but it's like, it's not though. It's not though. Like it's it's really good. It's really different and it's really new. And yes, early in anyone's career, it's a little bit basic and it's a little bit shitty. But then because you were given the tools and the opportunity to spend another thousand hours in there and then another thousand hours practicing, you get to a point where like Lil Yachty puts out this like alt-rock album and Dude, the newest Lil Lil Yachty album is fucking incredible. Lil Yachty is fucking incredible, dude. He, like, comes up with this shit. Dude, he's such a crazy character. He comes up with these new sounds. Like the song Poland, where he just goes, I took the walk to Poland. Um... And and his he, there's this lilty vibrationness to his voice that sounds um, like a mix between like something electronic and or singing into a fan. The way it sounds when you sing when you like talk into a fan. If you sit directly in front of a fan and you talk into it, something happens with the sound waves where everything is shaking and you sound crazy. That's what he sounds like in Poland. And apparently he like invented that whole sound, forgot that no one else had heard it, made a bunch of songs in that style, and then didn't release any of them because he didn't think it was that good. And then a hacker emailed him and was like, bro, I hacked your computer. I'm looking at all these files. Like, send me the song Poland, bro. And he was like talking to the hacker. And he was like, whatever, I'll send, I'll send the hacker the song. And he literally sent the hacker the song because the hacker asked for it because he didn't care. He's not obsessed with like getting credit or being in control of the creative process or any of it. He just like was hacked and then talked to the hacker and the hacker asked him for the music and he sent the music to the hacker and the hacker leaked it. And then the world went crazy and loved the song Poland. And he was super surprised because he had forgotten that that's not a sound. He had been listening to songs of himself that sounded sort of like that for like a year. So he was bored of it, but he didn't remember that the world hadn't heard any of it. (laughs) It's such a crazy creative journey from like an incredibly talented person. And then for him to put out a Cyrock album at the same time, 
And that's just because he got to sit in his bedroom and make like these super different philosophies, super different sound songs, because the tools were completely democratized. And the tools were like 20 bucks. The thing that before there was like only a thousand slots, only a thousand people in the whole world could be artists, you know? in the 50s. Very, very few slots existed. You had to move to Memphis, Tennessee, and you had to like, probably, you know, if you were a girl, you probably had to have sex with some guy. And and, and now it's just like, you just pay 20 bucks for a piece of software and you can do it yourself. And then to imagine that we want to stop, that there's something bad about these AI tools that are about to do the same thing for pretty much everything, you know? Like, it's not just movies that suddenly will be able to make movies. It's just like, there's just so many things. There's just so many tools. Like, you know what I want them to come up with that I think is probably three weeks away? I just want there to be like in my Google Drive for there to be a person I can talk to, a chat bot that I can have a normal human conversation and that bot will organize all my files for me. Especially files when it's a shared workspace, like a shared Google Drive across a big corporation where there's like a hundred people in there. It's literally impossible to keep those um, drives organized. So if you could just talk to a bot and be like, look, can you give me all the files that's like related to this? But like, if two files are very similar, like only show me one and hey, Show me the good one. And don't show me too many. Just show me like the 12 relevant ones. Figure it out. Like get me the stuff I want. Like stuff that previously you could ask your secretary to do it. You could ask your secretary to like read through all this stuff and like sort of figure out what the, what the interesting stuff is in this whole archive here. And then your secretary would spend seven months on it and still do a worse job than the chatbot that can obviously read like a trillion words. Like there's just a limitation to what even a team of secretaries can do that, you know, some sort of open AI digital personality doesn't have that limitation. And uh, yeah, I just think like, after we have an explosion of anyone being able to make any art, like wh in whatever space we've had that, it's just, it just makes it so much better and so much more fair. And I find it fascinating that it isn't a left-wing opinion to say, hey, if we give these tools to everyone, it will just be way more fair in the end. But it was never easy, you know? None of this ever, it's not like there won't be human suffering as we, as people become obsolete. You know, like the, we like to make fun of the Luddites because like the Luddites were the people who worked in the fucking textile factories and then they came up with the loom or whatever the automated fucking, the whatever factory machine you could have to make, fa to make fabric automatically instead of having a bunch of a hundred people working on it. And we make fun of them because it's like they were trying to destroy the fucking textile factories. But it's really like, it's funny to think back on because it was such a, the, the wave of how everything became a factory. It's very funny to imagine that you could have tried, that 
to try to stop it is, it's a joke. And that's what this is too, you know? It's completely useless to talk about any of this AI stuff because the wave is coming, you know? And like, I do believe that we need some guardrails and people are talking about guardrails and we need some rules and, but like, yeah, you know, you and me are not the, me or the person listening to me is not the person that's going to decide that. So it's a completely useless thing to talk about, but I, I find it interesting. I just, hey, hey guy, I'm just out here, you know, I'm just interested. I just find it interesting how, um, how unpredictable it is what, Uh, political opinion will align with what as new questions show up you know everything like climate change it's not it's it was never obvious that like the people who want higher taxes are going to be the people who think climate change is real and vice versa like that's not nothing directly follows from the, the one doesn't directly follow from the other it shouldn't be connected but it is. And like people on the right who are super worried about the border and national security and and people who want us to have a strong military, they should be the most worried about climate change. It's the biggest national security. Like there's so many things. But anyway, I think that there's a music way, music history way of looking at the world where like there was an equalization and a... Um, a a an a fairness that happened when anyone could make music all of a sudden it's still true though like nothing is perfect because you got to have time i don't know it's so it's so like beautiful and romantic to think about poor people who have very little time and who have to work so hard to do something to for them to spend a little bit of their time on like a shitty laptop with a shitty mic and like a $40 a USB synthesizer for and like a pirated version of some music making software and to to think that they carve out time just in the face of how we know that living in a precarious economically precarious precarious situation that it's so hard to focus like getting good grades when you're like home life sucks or where you're just poor is so fucking hard because there's just like this cognitive task tax on your everything you do like whatever you're doing part of your brain is always worrying about your safety or like if your mom has enough money or whatever and there's just like this privilege to not worrying about that and there's it's so romantic to think about the poor people who in the face of the cognitive tax tax i'm really struggling with pronouncing some of these words um in the face of all these obstacles of how hard it is to focus and not just be sucked into your phone and feel depressed and just scroll doom scroll through instagram all day like to feel, to find inspiration and focus and dedication and to carve out like 500 hours of practicing all night in a stupid music making software and then to make fucking bangers to make drums that fucking slap and to make it work and to get famous there's just something so like i'm just so i find it so beautiful I find it so fucking beautiful, you know?
Oh, God. And there's a, there's just a fairness to it. There's a fairness to anyone gets to try. Like, you know, anyone can write a book and then you can self-publish it. And if no one reads it, then maybe it wasn't that good, you know? If thir- if only 30 people read it, then... And, and then there's this, like, peace. There's this peace to it all. But it's like, hey, maybe it's nice that 30 people read it. Like... Like, I, I wrote this book and I self-published it and I think 30 people have read it. And it's like, there's something nice to that because it's more than zero. And like, if you get to – because I think we're – that the long tail of how anyone can make anything means that the audience is so much more diluted that maybe like it's nice to not expect the big audience, but instead to just do it for the sake of the pleasure of the journey – and to then just be really pleased when 10 people partake, like 10 people consume the tiny bit of content that you created. Like, created. It's just like, I really think that there's a new paradigm here. Like, when you move away from this thing of like, there's a thousand studio slots, a thousand people can be musical artists across the world. That's it. There's only a thousand. That's the cap. The audience is every single person on earth. Everyone gets a fucking 10 million person audience. And that's it. And you either get in the studio and you get 10 million people to listen, or you don't. It's like, there's such a much more Buddhist way of doing things when anyone can create something and you can just create it for your immediate community. And they can be like, yeah, this wasn't that good. And then you can laugh and be like, yeah, I know, right? But I enjoyed making it. And then, you know, yeah. It's a weird transition. Like we're transitioning to something new. And I... Yeah, I mean, it's humiliating. It's humiliating to not have an audience of millions of people. Yeah, that's the truth. Anyway, so speaking of that, uh, we should re- review a sparkling water here. Um, so I'm I'm really bringing, like, this is, I'm back, you know? I'm fucking back, dude. So um, we're doing a real episode. Um, three waters. They're all mango-flavored. And they're all different brands. Like, this is what the podcast is. This is what it was always supposed to be. This one, shouts out to Noah, is... <laughs> the brand is Ocean Bomb. I bought this at the fucking Weird Asian store. They have every single anime. They have like 10 different flavors um, with like marketing, with characters from animes. So this one is from the the anime One Piece, which is a show that like has 1,200 episodes. Actually, I have to Google it. Because how many episodes are there of One Piece? Hey, hey, Alexa, how many episodes of One Piece are there? Alexa, stop. That is such a funny way of saying it. She said, season one of One Piece has 1,062 episodes. That's a very funny way of saying it. Apparently, it's still a season. Um, yeah, I think they don't do seasons, but okay. So ocean bomb, mango flavored, sparkling water. Um, what's the character there? It needs to say, yeah, I mean, Noah could probably tell me maybe the character's name. I mean, there's just a bunch of words on here. Na, im, na, 
yeah. Anyway, let's just let's just give it a little give it a little smell and then a little a little sip. Mango. I love mango. I love the fruit. I bought these three mango flavored sparkling waters and then I was at Briar Patch, the local co-op, and I held a mango in my hand and I was like, "Fuck it. I'm going to go all out. I'm going to get a mango too." Oh, that smells, dude, that's so cool that this company has hundreds of flavors and that they don't all suck because that smells really good. Okay, such a scam that they call the sparkling water because that's a soda, 90 calories, really, really fresh mango though. Like that's just full on delicious. Not watery at all. Like not watery enough to be called sparkling water, but that's fine. Yeah, that's like a, that's an 8 out of 10. I mean, it's kind of disqualified because it's not watery enough, but that's an 8 out of 10. That's just like sweet and juicy, and it just tastes like real mango juice. Is there real mango juice in here? Nope, but there's high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I was just thinking a little bit about the, the politics of picking a side and how it's interesting that we haven't picked a side immediately with new stuff. Um, it's also interesting and positive that like some of these things, like I feel like with the vaccines, we kind of ran out of steam. Like on the one hand, the pandemic kind of ended, but it also like, I don't know. I felt like at the end there, it got a little bit like, it got more okay to talk about how it was never black and white. Because for a bit, for a bit, it was it was really portrayed as very black and white, where it's like any side effect of the vaccine had to be made up was according to the like very dominant left wing narrative. Any side effect was made up, and that makes it hard. I don't think that that produces the best outcome to force people to believe that. It's completely black and white. Like it was always an equation. It was always like there is stuff in the pro column and there is stuff in the con column. Like it was always a, a, a decision that you weigh. And then, you know, I think the truth about the vaccines in the end, is like that they weirdly enough had a side effect that was pretty severe for young men more than anyone else. Young men ended up with like an inflamed heart muscle in a sort of like elevated rate. And then, you know, does that mean in the middle of the pandemic you shouldn't get the vaccine? No, because it's a fucking equation. It's like the risk of getting COVID and getting a fucking inflamed heart from fucking COVID is... Uh, much higher than getting it from the vaccine, but but just acknowledging that um, I, what I'm saying is I feel like we kind of got out of our trenches a little bit and it got a little bit more okay to just like acknowledge both sides and just be a little bit like, yeah, you know, it's, well, that was kind of a mess. You know, I feel like after two, three years of a, of a pandemic and like a year and a half of screaming about vaccines, everyone kind of ran out of steam and everyone kind of came out of their trenches and was like, wow, okay. That was, we were all being a little bit too intense there, huh? You know, like when you, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting, the dynamic of like after a fight. 
Because <laughs> the dynamic of after a fight is, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's like when I was fighting with Tristan last weekend, and and I think we both felt super bad. Like, I felt like I had acted way worse than her. And she clearly, in how she was apologizing to me, felt like she'd been acting way worse than me. And we were both like, really? Yeah, it's so weird. Like, you get, you, two people get super angry, and they're screaming at each other, and they totally cross the line and just like, become super mean, and it's like super shitty. And then... When the adrenaline fades, you like, there's just this weird thing afterwards where you're like, God, I went way too hard in the paint, you know, and I'm sorry. God, that's something I don't miss about being in a fucking committed romantic relationship. Just the fucking, because it's the thing of living together is is how it's, it, it, that's really, the thing of living together is like how you don't have anywhere to retreat to so much in the physical space and you just spend so much time together that it's like, wow, you get so angry because it's like, just, just get out of my space a little bit. Oh man, it's easy to get angry. Um. Anyway. Yeah, I'm this episode I'm really feeling this like post. I'm really in a state of after. Like I'm after we're I'm really feeling this like after a fight, after after finishing a bunch of big projects. Like after fin because the the audiobook and then the cover of the books was um this thing that became a thing that needed discipline and needed so much focus that I have something I noticed not that long, like a few years ago, I just made this like f really, like it's a horrible observation, but it's like on some level, if you're really trying to get into the highest gear with productivity, you have to neglect everything. It's like, I don't know, maybe other people can do it a different way where they just militaristically wake up in the morning, wake up early, do the bed, and they're not even thinking about it because they just do the, their body just makes the bed every single morning. Yeah, it's called making the bed, not do the bed. Fucking Swede, fucking piece of shit, stupid fucking potato Swede. Um, you just like make breakfast, do the dishes immediately. And then you like, it's 7 a.m., now I'm productive. Maybe those people exist, but I really believe that for most people struggling through modernity, it's much more like, if you really want to be productive, you have to neglect everything. Like, I almost forgot to pay my credit card bills. I did not do the dishes. I mean, I did dishes a little bit because I have to keep eating, but really the thing that got horribly fucking neglected was like my floors got so dirty and it's a little bit warm out and it's a little bit wet and it gets a little bit muddy in the by the door and then that sort of lets, turns into a powder and it kind of gets dragged in and there was just so much like plant matter and then like you, you know you just spill something on the you just spill like a red liquid on the living room floor and then like 10 days later you're still completely focused on your computer and it's still on there 
And it's like, every time I see it, I'm just like, it hurts. But I also know that like, I have to stay focused on this thing. Like I have to just work. And I have like laundry got completely neglected, no working out. Um, my house got so messy. Like every single surface was just stacked with like stuff, just like random papers, just stuff. And then today I hit submit on the last stuff. I called all the government agencies and asked them if I owed them money. And they were all like, nope. Don't see any balance due. And I hung up with the government and I put some headphones on and I deep cleaned my entire house top to bottom. Just like every single surface got wiped down, everything got put away. And then like, it's so like, what is nicer than that? Having finished a project and then wiping all the surface up so that the crummies fall down to the surface below and then wiping that surface so that all the crummies fall down to the surface below that and then wiping that surface so all the crummies fall down on the floor and then you sweep and then you vacuum and then you spray all the spots in the floor that have like something that needs to be mopped and then you get it all wet on the spots that just have a little bit of like like there was one part where in my kitchen where for three weeks, I've been looking at a string. You know how I'm really particular when I eat a banana. So I have to peel the banana, open it up, and then pull the little stringy bits off. And I dropped one of those on the floor. So it's like this string. And then it goes brown. And then it just fused with the floor. So I have this S-shaped banana string that's just fused onto the floor. And for three weeks, I'm looking at this thing. And I'm like, guys... I can't deal with that. Like, I'm not seeing any friends. I'm not doing anything fun. I'm not sleeping. I'm literally losing my mind. The podcast episodes are barely existing. And I have to focus on this project. And it's going, like, I'm on the brink of death here. But I can do this if I just don't clean up the string on the floor from the banana. So, and then I sprayed it down today. And then so I did this, like, complete mop. I mopped the whole house. I took all my recycling. And here's a nice one. I Having a big truck, it's like the dump is closed today. So I couldn't take all the recycling to the dump. But tomorrow I work and it's open tomorrow. But so I loaded it all up in the truck. So it's just chilling in the bed of my truck. My truck is completely full of trash right now, like the bed of it. So tomorrow I can just roll around the corner and just dump it in. Like, like, I really fucking look forward to rolling out of bed and just being all sleepy and, and rolling out of bed and getting into my truck and maybe going to get a coffee. Uh, I don't know. Coffee has to be involved in some way. I think maybe what I'm going to do is I'm going to, because it's hot these days, so I'm going to make coffee tonight and just put it in the fridge and then pour it over ice with oat milk tomorrow. Put it in the cup holder and just like sip coffee. I, I'm I'm a germaphobe, so it's hard to put things in my mouth while I'm at the dump. But like, I'm going to wear gloves and then I'm going to take those gloves off and just take the gloves off and just sip ice cold coffee. And it's like, oh, oh. And then come home and like, you know, a thousand pounds of recycling all the evidence of a debilitating Amazon addiction, gone.
like it never even happened. Oh, like what's better than this? I finished all these projects and then I deep cleaned my house. And here's the real thing. I think my sobriety is doing pretty good, actually. I think, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm coming up on year four. And we're, you know, we're approaching, you know, when you rack up a couple of years and you don't think about it all the time. I was actually thinking I was about to hit my third birthday, but then I realized that's not how numbers work. 2019, July 4th, 2019 is my sobriety date. So I'm actually coming up on year four. It's Chef Eric was telling me how... um he was like, has this whole year he's been thinking he's about to turn 57. And then his, he was in the car with his daughter. And he's like, yes, I'm about to turn 58. And he, she's like, dude, you're 56. And he's like, no, nah, dude, I'm about to turn 58. I'm 57. And she just like is so much smarter than him. <laughs> that's what he thinks. He's honestly, that's the guy I should have on the podcast. Because he is the epitome of maturity. Like mature is such a hard to pin down concept. And it's like one of those things that, you know, it's like what they say about the the Western world. I used to I used to believe Mikael Schoenhals, my thesis advisor, who always said that you're not allowed to use the expression Western world because you can't define it. And then years later, someone said, hey, just because you can't define something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And I realized that's true. There are things we can't define that exist. And maturity is one of them. Western world is another one. And um, he, look, there are things about Chef Eric where like people know more than him. People are better at stuff than him. He, he just has this humility about him and this like, beautiful sense of experience and age and wisdom and he's so like blue collar cool and there's so like he's one of the most mature people I've ever met and that's when you realize that like maturity so many good decisions come from just straight maturity and you can be such a fucking genius and have so many PhDs. But if you're controlled by like small minded ego, um, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. If you lack the maturity, all your decisions will be corrupted by, you know, yeah. Anyway, I'm being elliptical because I can't really talk about the thing, but it's like, there are all these people at all these different skill levels and all these different, like I'm in this big corporate structure where there are all these, like the bosses have bosses and the bosses' bosses have bosses and everyone has all these people next to them and below them and above them. But out of all of those people, the person who just stands out is Chef Eric, who is real middle middle management. Like he's on my level, you know? We're both middle management and he just... Oh, fuck, man. I really, I really appreciate that guy. He needs to be on the podcast for sure. What was I talking about? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I brought him up because he lost count of how old he was. And that connected to how I lost count of how long I've been sober. Because I was going to say something about sobriety. Because I used to have this idea. It was an idea given to me by the TV show, 
Californication with the guy from X-Files, whatever. David Duchovny. Um, David Hasselhoff, who knows? Um, in that show, it only happens a few times, but in that show, he's an author. He writes books. He writes fiction. And his character is based on, you know, a bunch of different debaucherous, um, cool, thinker, alcoholic writers. And it's sort of like, uh, what are those co characters called when you take a bunch of things and and cut him up and, and a composite, a composite character. Sorry, not, not important at all. But if I don't say it out loud, it's gonna, if I don't remember the word, it's gonna fucking distract me for the whole entirety of the rest of the episode. He's a composite character of like Baudelaire and uh, Bukowski and all these like alcoholic old timey authors. So in one episode, he fit, he doesn't do a lot of writing in this show. He does drugs and he fucks a lot of women. And it's like an incredibly funny, like incredibly unrealistic depiction of what it's like to write books, I think. <laughs> I think it has nothing to do with reality. And that's very harmful. Those images that we are given by, you know, images given to us about what how you should feel during the creative process or how you should expect to feel how the creative process should you should expect to just do drugs and party and fuck women the whole time and then at the end of it all you'll have all these like um art pieces that you made that people will love the idea that that's how it works is so fucking harmful that expectation is so fucking harmful and it's so depressing to everyone who people in reality, you know? But so there's this one specific thing where he finishes a book in a scene. He's sitting on his, I think he might even have a typewriter. It's probably a laptop, but I'm, I'm not sure if he's writing on a typewriter or a laptop. I almost think a typewriter. But anyway, he just like gets to the end and he writes the word the end as if that's how you finish a book. Uh, and then afterwards, he doesn't normally smoke weed, but when he finished, when he writes the word the end and it's done, he just like smokes a fat blunt and it's like the best blunt. And he talks about how that's the best blunt he smokes, like the blunt you smoke right after finishing a novel because it's so like, there's such a sense of completion. And I used to really struggle with this because that was a strong image for me that I really carried in my heart of how I need to control my intake of drugs and alcohol to a point where I can be productive. And then I need to reward myself in that way. Basically, I need to do drugs when it's like a huge reward for a finished thing. And then when I got sober and First of all, while I was doing drugs and alcohol, I never finished anything because of the drugs and alcohol. But then when I stopped doing drugs and alcohol and got sober, I started getting really productive and I started like getting to a point where it seemed realistic that I would finish something. And then I always had this idea that like, once I finish, I'll probably smoke that fucking blunt that I saw the guy in Californication smoke. I'll smoke the fucking, you finish a novel blunt. And... 
I was always like, wow. So then my sobriety will be this like brief period that I had here and that I used to finish a thing. And I, you know, I quit everything so many times and always failed to quit. And then I didn't fail. But then it, the, the point is that I realized that I am so much like there is something here. I have a point here. I'm trying to make a point. The point is that I am so much happier now. I just am. Like the creative process recently almost killed me, but it's because I have a devastatingly difficult to um, have day job to have in parallel with a project. Like doing a project while you have my day job is very, very difficult. But... I didn't clean my house, so I found the time to do it. And what I'm what I realized is that what makes me happier than the I finished a novel blunt is the I finished a novel deep clean of my house. Like to sit here in my house and having outlived all debts and claims, you know, I don't owe no one nothing to no one, you know. I Fucking didn't get fired from my day job. Could have been. Should have been. Didn't been. Wasn't. Wasn't fired. Still had a paycheck. Paying my rent. Money in the bank. Finished my fucking thing. And now, for my next act, for my next creative project, I'm going to just do something chill, dude. I'm just going to do something I actually enjoy. Oh my God, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to see, you're going to see, and it's going to be wild, you know, I'm going to be wilding out, dude. Oh, and then I'm going to stay sober throughout it. And then I'm going to finish something and then I'm going to clean my house again. And I'm going to feel like this again. And this is a good feeling. I'm feeling good right now, even though I have to go back to work tomorrow, but I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go to the dump. My house, like my porch is so tidy. I tidied up my whole porch. And like, dude, I did such a deep clean. It's crazy. Anyway, let's drink another water. So mango, hop water, sparkling hop water crafted with adaptogens and nootropics. I'm pretty sure I checked and I feel like I've already reviewed this on the pod, but I checked and I haven't. So I hope I checked correctly. Oh, that's weird. Wow. All the hop waters tastes like, they smell like fresh cut grass. Like daddy's been out fucking tearing the lawn up, you know? And we're talking a push mower. This smells like a push mower, like a freshly greased push mower absolutely no mango like one percent mango behind just you know seven contractor bags full of fresh cut grass just bright green lush fresh cut grass that thick stuff that you could just lay down like you could you could fall like you fall out the window on the third floor and land on this grass and you wouldn't even hurt yourself. You know, that kind of thick, lush. Oh, my God. I saw this Drake video today. Just called, like, 
it was called some crazy word soup thing. And um, it was called like Jumbotron, Jumbotron shit. I'd never even heard of this song. And then I, it just showed up on YouTube and I looked at it and, and it's like, and there's this girl there that shook her butt, shaking her butt. Jesus, guys. Wow. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like such a, uh, I don't know. I feel Amish sometimes. Sometimes when I when I when I see someone, once a year I see a girl twerking in a rap music video because I do not watch music videos. But once a year I see a girl twerking in a rap music video, and I, I feel Amish. I feel like I've been I've never seen anything before, and you're really blowing my mind here. But there's there's some girl in yeah there's a girl in that video that shakes her butt a little bit. And then she's, um, what it really is, it's not that she's twerking. She's roller skating and she falls over. And when she falls on the ground, and it's not like an act or anything, she actually falls. And when she hits the ground, the way <laughs> the way her butt shakes, the way her butt shakes, everyone, <laughs> everyone who saw it was like, okay, that's going in the video. Everyone, <laughs> when, when they filmed it and she fell, they stopped everything they were doing and was like, guys, come look at this footage. Come look at this. Come look at what this looks like when she fell. And it's like her butt is shaking. <laughs> her butt is shaking so much. Yeah, okay, fresh cut grass. Let's try it. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's watery. It's watery, that's right. And it's 70% hoppy. And then it has this light, light whisper of a juiciness behind it. It's hard to even identify that it's mango, but you can tell that it's a juiciness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like something. You know, it's just something. It's just something there. Dude, this is nice. These hop waters, usually I don't really fuck with them. Usually these hop waters are a joke to me. Juicy tropical hoppy. That's what they wrote on this one. So they have individualized copy for each flavor. Ashwagandha to de-stress and unwind. Oh my god, I love that it's not caffeine that we're uh, that we're not going up, but that we're going down. I love this. I'm gonna finish this can. Mmm. You know what, hop water? That's a nine out of ten. I fucks with it. I fucks with it like that girl with the shaky butt in the Drake video. Jumbotron shit. Oh god, what else is going on? Yeah, here's another thought about drugs and alcohol. So, like, um, sometimes when you um, when you uh, when you're talking to an alcoholic and you're sober and you're two alcoholics connecting and you talk about what it's like and how you're different from other people, it's really it's really helpful actually in sobriety to go to the meetings and to acknowledge that we're different, that we're not all the same, that there are like two discrete types of people, alcoholics and normies. And normies can go to a restaurant and have dinner and order a glass of wine and not finish the glass of wine. Just order one and not finish it. I work in a restaurant, I see it happening. Those are normies. And then alcoholics are like, you know, you know, you drink whatever's on the table. But so what I was thinking about recently is like, I really, I, I, I love a nice cup of tea at the end of the day. And I I um, have been trying to find like, what's my favorite 
tea? Like, what's my favorite non-caffeinated tea? Because I'm this wholesome motherfucker, you know? I'm this wholesome motherfucker. I got these wonderful blankets. I'm fucking touching three of them right now as I'm sitting here. There's my red blanket on my feet. There's my pink blanket on my couch. There's my thick, big hoop yellow blanket just chilling off to the side here. I'm a wholesome motherfucker. My house is nice, dude. I got pillows. Everything's like beautifully clean. I got a couple of candles lit that I I really got into candle. Like I realized, I learned that there's something with candles that uh, does something to your brain. Like we don't even really understand it, but there's something about having a, a little bit of an open flame chilling on the side that's extremely calming for humans. So I light some candles and then I got annoyed that candles are really expensive. And then I realized that every time we host a wedding, they buy like a thousand candles and then they just throw them in the trash. And then instead I've been inter, what's it called? Intercepting and being like, hey, those 60 candles that you bought from Target yesterday that you're now about to throw in the trash uh, because you can't bring them home because you live in a different state. Do you want me to throw them away for you? And they just give me like a grocery bag full of candles. Every wedding does this. I just get bags and bags of candles. I have so many candles, weird candles, like candles that are made not to sit in anything, but to float on a water surface. So I have like a big bowl of floating candles and like tapered candles, all these different candles I got for free. What's more calming to a human being than getting shit for free? You know what's more calming than just a candle? A candle you got for free. Uh, Look, man, where's the lie, though? Where's the lie, though? But so candles and a cup of tea, and I'm chilling on my computer, and I'm super productive. You know, I'm about to fucking have a cup of tea and sit here with my lit candles and and, uh, do some Amazon shopping. Because I'm a middle-aged white bitch, you know? I'm like a 47-year-old white bitch out here. But what I was going to say is, however much you like having a cup of tea, it's still, as much as I tell myself I love it, and I tell myself it's such a nice ritual, and everything about it is so nice, and I bought a 50-pack of 50 different flavors of non-caffeinated teas, so I could try all of them and find, like, exactly the one I liked the most, and then I didn't like any of them, but I went to a place called Delishbish, and they have a tea that's like a honey vanilla uh, fucking thing that... The lady was like, this is delicious. You should try this one. And I tried it, and it was better than any of the 50 ones that I got from the Stash brand variety pack. So I made a cup of the delicious tea, the honey vanilla fucking shits from the Delish Bish lady. She, I bought a cup there at Delish Bish, and I had a cup of this tea, and it was so good. And then I immediately went home on Amazon and, and ordered it on Amazon. Um, but so two days ago, or last night or something, who knows, I make a cup of tea. I do my big cup that uh, Dr. Luke gave to me. May his soul rest in peace. I hope he's doing good out there. I think I need to, you know, I, I'm not friends with Dr. Luke anymore. And I, I stopped being friends with a bunch of flawed characters. And I didn't make any new friends. So breaking up with men uh, has made me very lonely. But that's a sidebar. 
Dr. Luke gave me this wonderful, enormous cup with like a rough white painted exterior, untreated rough cement exterior, and a varnished, super shiny, bright blue interior. It's just like a beautiful cup to hold and a beautiful cup to drink out of, right? And so I made this cup of the vanilla honey shits in this tea, in this cup, and everything was getting... It was such a good nighttime ritual. I was doing so good. I was like going to chill and just watch an hour of TV or whatever. And then like, I I realized like an hour and a half after I made the tea, I just find the tea on my desk and I realized I haven't taken a single sip. I just never took a sip. I made it and did, forgot about it immediately. And it's like, it made me think of alcoholism and how... One of like the sort of hallmarks, unmistakable traits of being an alcoholic and having a glass of alcohol in front of you is the impossibility of forgetting it. Like there is no way to forget to drink a beer when you're an alcoholic. Like that isn't possible. Maybe it's actually good that it is possible for me to forget to drink the tea. Like, I enjoy the tea, but I can also forget the tea sometimes. And that's the space, that's the, that's the realm we need to stay within, where we enjoy things that we can, um, that we sometimes just forget about. Like, that's a very good realm, because that's not where addiction is. And, um, it really makes me think of how, um, like, the new Zelda game came out. I talked about it in the last episode. I've been playing it a little bit more now. And it. I think I almost mentioned this in the last episode. But, like, there, it, it remains true that there's this beauty to the game. It's slow. It's a slow pacing. And it's really music. The music is not at the forefront in any way, but for some reason, I'm really noticing the music and the sound design. Like it has this beautiful, like sometimes you're walking over white pebbles, like just a, a stone garden with an area of white pebbles and you run on grass and it has this beautiful grass sound. And then when you r run on the white pebbles, it has this beautiful, like they capture this sort of warm rocks just the intimacy. There's something so clean about a stone guard. There's something so peaceful and meditative about walking on those white rocks in a stone garden, in a Japanese stone garden. And then um, then you're back on the grass and like this, that, like a very sort of scaled down symphony orchestra thing where just like a few instruments at a time just beautiful open spaces with a few instruments at a time of the symphony, just sort of like playful notes as you go through a forest. And it's so beautiful. And then there's this thing about it where it's like, but I'm good after an hour. Like I play it for an hour and then I'm good. Like I don't need to, it's not addiction. And like sometimes I don't play it for like four days. Like, I love it. It's, I really enjoy it, but sometimes I forget about it. And that's really where we need to be. I enjoy it, but sometimes I forget about it. 
because I used to do these things that I never forgot about and and they forgot about me, you know? The drugs never remembered me. That was never how it worked. Okay, never mind. Maybe we should drink water. Um, and the, the most important word here is actually the maybe because... Um, so I'm at my local food co-op and I'm buying mango-flavored sparkling water and I see this one and it's actually non-sparkling. And that's humility, you know? Maybe we should we need to question everything in every moment. And maybe my podcast shouldn't just be focused on sparkling water. So I bought a non-sparkling. The brand is called Agua Bonita, real fruit agua agua fresca. A mango habanero made with real fruit. It's like some real fancy high in antioxidants, vitamin C, plant-based, lower sugar, 90 calories though. 90 calories in a can is uh that's a lot of calories. You piece of shit. I'm trying to pretend like this is a healthy minority owned. Oh my god, minority owned is a really that's not something you see on stuff often. Agua Bonita was inspired by my grandpa. Oh yeah. Okay. 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 There's so many funny memes on the internet about this stuff. Like when you're at the co-op and you read the side of the label, it's always like, hi, here at, you know, here at dirt flap fucking meal replacements for babies. Um, one day we woke up and our three-year-old little Steve, he was shitting himself to death. And, and we were like, we need to start... We need to start a company. And that's the brand story is always the brand story is always really intense. Oh yeah. So I haven't even read this, but I'm I can tell that the brand story is gonna be intense. Agua Bonita was inspired by my grandpa, a migrant farm worker who would rescue fruit from the fields and make agua frescas for our family. Dude, god damn it, that's heartwarming. Did that just warm your heart right up? Because that warmed my heart right up. And I take back any like any sort of like making fun of it in advance that I just did. We've continued this fun tradition in a way that tastes good, is better for you and good for the planet. Salud with an upside down exclamation mark before the S. Her name is Kyla. Oh, you know, she's like, you know, she has like a really healthy looking tan. Um, Not just because she's minority owned, but like, you know, Kyla is like pretty hot. You know, woman owned. This says there's a logo for woman owned. We got to get that logo at work, dude. Dude, I got to get, I got to get a fucking tattoo that says woman owned. Okay. Filtered water, mango juice, agave syrup. Yeah. So here's the thing though. Here's why this is a maybe. Not just because it's non-sparkling. When I picked it up, I was still in a state of deep, deep depression, right? It was before I turned a corner. It was before I, let's say, deep cleaned my house. When I picked up this can at the store, and I mean physically when I picked it up with my hand, it just like caved in in my hand. And it was all soft and weird. And I was so depressed that any normal person or any normal version of me would put that one back and just grab the one next to it that looks the same and grab that one instead. But instead, I just like was like, okay, I guess I'm drinking a defective can. And then I go to the register and the lady goes, sometimes Americans say this stuff to me that like, I just know that it's the perfect word and I could have never thought of it. 
the word she used was, oh, <laughs> she goes, oh, this can has a little bit of slack to it. <laughs> and it's like, I couldn't write that. The word slack, like the word slack is such a good word. This can has a little bit of slack to it. It's like so funny. It's such a perfect phrase. And I have no idea how to use those words correctly. It's like the word torque. When an American correctly uses the word torque, I just fucking tip my hat to him. Because I'm like, you do something, I'll, you know, give me five lifetimes and I couldn't learn to do what you do. But yeah, so I'm holding this can in my hand right here. It has a weird slack to it. It's like weirdly soft. And the lady at the register checking me out was literally like, hey, this can has a weird slack to it. Do you want to go grab a different one? And I looked at her with these like empty eyes, like empty wet eyes, like like my head is an empty aquarium. You know, like there's literally nothing in there. And I just looked at her and said, no. And I just couldn't even like operate properly. Couldn't even like get a proper can of beverage, can of fucking Agua Bonita to review. So she looked at me worried. She looked at me worried, like this guy's not all right. And then she said, hey, hey, guy, if you're not going to go get a different one, at least when you drink this, pour it, in a, pour it in a glass first, okay? As if to say, hey, if this is just a bunch of mold in here, then um, at least don't drink straight out of the can because then you won't know. Um, and now I'm struggling to open this can. Okay, I found a nail clipper to open the can with. So gross. Okay, so we're going to pour this in a glass here. And I'm going to smell it. And if it smells weird, I'm not even going to try it because then the whole thing is defective. But I don't think it's defective. Oh, dude, that is so like... So what does it mean? What is an agua fresca? Agua fresca is just like fruit water, I think. Like I think um, Jamaica is an agua fresca. Oh, that's just so, like, I'm so grossed out by it because it comes out of a compromised can bought by a depressed version of me, but I'm still going to try it. Oh, wow. Okay. Spitting it back out. Um, yeah. Okay, I think we might have to reconvene next week um, because that's a very, very interesting flavor, and I don't know if that's because it's fermented. Like, it has a... It has cinnamon and sugar and agave, but it also has like a tart horror, like a tart horrible thing that I might be into if I know that it's intentional. It's very interesting, the framing of a flavor. Like, it's actually really interesting, like how if you expect something to be a certain way, if you expect something and it's something else, even if the something else is something you like, if it's the wrong thing, if it's not what you expect, you um, you immediately react with, um, I guess that's such a nor like logical evolutionary thing that like our expectation is a survival method, method because we, 
we when we expecting the the act of having an expectation is a safety mechanism for like being like okay so I'm going to bite into this apple I know what apples are supposed to taste like <clears throat> I know what a fucking rotten apple tastes like cuz I'm a caveman and I've had to bite into some rotten apples but like it's a narrow band of acceptable flavors that I, excuse me I had a little burp there from a non-carbonated beverage it's interesting to think about a caveman biting into an apple, saying to himself, there's a small acceptable band of flavors here. Like it, the, the spectrum of acceptable flavors here are, is narrow. It can only taste a specific way. Otherwise, it's, it's a spoiled apple that I shouldn't eat. And if you get any other flavor, like if it tastes like banana, you spit it out. But if it's if you bite into a banana and it tastes banana, then you're good. So it's like the expectation more than the um, actual flavor is. Anyway, I, I kind of, that got really interesting there at the end. But um, it also reminded me of how I went to this new restaurant around the corner from where I work called the Phoenix, and they had a mac and cheese. And it, it, it was called a three cheese mac and cheese. And one of the cheeses was smoked cheddar. And the other two cheeses were not defined. It was just <laughs> three cheeses. One of them is cheddar. And so you have to guess what the other two are. And it was disgusting. It had like a weird, sweet, almost vanilla flavor to it. And I hated it. And I Maddie was saying how it was maybe cream cheese. And fuck, man, cream cheese is one of those things that's like, you hangs out in frosting, hangs out with some locks, all this different stuff. But um, yeah, it, it was gross to me there. But really the experience at the Phoenix, it was their soft opening, which means that you go and they they have no staff. It's just the managers are opening the doors and... They it was chaotic, but there was something very helpful for me in that moment, it in in being there because I ordered all the food and we had all the food and we like tried everything and it was delicious and it was very basic, but the mains were good. They have a shrimp and grits that's like so creamy, savory, perfect grits, like grits that are oh so good. Honestly, so funny that I just said all that because we had a, a pork belly al pastor on the menu at work that was served on blue corn grits. And the whole dish was so fucking good. Like house pickled pineapple, like cubed up pineapple pickled in vinegar and hot sauce. So they're spicy. And then also like a hibiscus jam hibiscus quince jam that adds like a sweetness and then a spicy al pastor sauce in a pork belly that pork belly comes in and then it's sitting on a blue corn grits but the thing was that there was fucking cream cheese in the blue corn grits and that fucked it up for me that added a weird sweetness that was like just fucking disgusting to me and it fucked up the whole dish to me and it's funny cream cheese is this thing man but the shrimp and grits was really good at the, the phoenix but what i was going to say is like it taught me – I have two two big thoughts about it. First of all, it taught me like as a patron how you don't notice anything. 
because they kept going up to the PA system and saying into the microphone, I'm sorry, we're having some technical issues. And it's like, they said it like three times. And it's like, guys, if you don't say it out loud, I won't know that. Because like, we're just having a meal in a restaurant. The food is showing up at the table. The drinks are showing up at the table. Um, Nothing weird is going on. I'm just hanging out with Maddie, having food. I don't know what your technical issues are. So it's like, they are freaking out about a real thing. But the real thing is a behind-the-scenes thing. And it's just very helpful for me as someone who does events and stuff to realize that, like, you can get away with whatever because if you don't, don't start apologizing to people. Because the apology is the first day ever heard of the fact that there's a problem most of the time. And there's, yeah, there's a big lesson about life in there, about just, just keep on trucking, my guy. You know, we're all going to be dead in a minute. So like, just keep on trucking. Don't apologize. You know, just, just go, just go with it. And it might not be exactly how you intended it, but just like, you don't need to explain how this wasn't going according to plan. It's fine. We're going. We're going. It's fine. And then the other thought that I had about it was like, it's so, like I have this, whatever I'm talking about that's theoretical, I have this really, really strong belief that it's important to look at the world not as a zero-sum thing. It's important to look at the world where generosity is the how you get the best results. If you just, you have a tool, you figured something out, you had a good idea, just share it with people. Just teach people how to do it. Just help people. Don't worry about taking credit for it. Don't worry about charging them money for it. Just share whatever good idea, whatever work method, whatever best practice you've come up with, just share it with people. Whatever recipe you've come up with, whatever like thing you have too much of, just give it away. Just Give away to people and just have this like positive sum view that if we just work together, Alexa, turn the fridge off. If we work together, uh, things will be better. And if we go the other path, if we feel threatened by each other, and if we feel like we have to hoard what we have, and if we feel like more people doing what we do will crowd us out and we're worried about it. The more we look at the world like that, the the worse our outcome will be. And I really believe in that theoretically, whatever I'm talking about on a theory level. But then when I'm actually in real life and I have a job and I work at a fucking restaurant and I manage the restaurant and I am responsible for the economic outcome and the financials of the restaurant, and I need it to go well, and I care, and I hear that someone is opening a new restaurant around the corner, it's so hard for me to maintain a positive-sum mindset. I immediately feel like, okay, these motherfuckers, these motherfuckers are going to fucking steal from us. They're going to steal our customers. They're going to compete with us. It's shitty that they exist. I wish they didn't exist. Like these these are my strong feelings when I live these things in reality. And it's like so fucking 
weird to have these strong theoretical beliefs that just disappear as soon as I like stand up. Like from a seated position, from a seated position, I'm very positive sum. And then when I put my shoes on, it's negative sum, bro. It's not even zero sum, it's negative sum. The more things that happen, the worse every, like just fear. It's just fear and small mindedness and small heartedness. God, I got to learn from the good people around me. Amanda Anderson and Chef Eric. These people have hearts so big that I can't even see the other end of it, you know? Hearts so big that I can't even hold around it. Hearts just, hearts that just go on forever. Yeah. Me and, me and Chef, we have a lot to learn. Me and Zach, we have a lot to learn. And, and we're going to learn. And we're going to lift each other up and we're going to go really far. Because we're going to learn how to just work with other people. We're going to work with other people and we're not going to feel threatened and we're not going to feel small-minded and we're not going to feel small-hearted. And, yeah. It's my alcoholic mind. All of it. Yeah, anyway. That's a long episode. But, you know, we're back. Don't call it a comeback, but we're back. We're back. We're doing podcasts again. I love you guys. Thank you for listening.